Hi, this is Ollie, and you're listening to the Creative Bridge Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Rebecca Kay about how her love of maths and art came together to create her new project, Plotaire. We also talk a lot about finding a purpose in what you do, what community means to us and will mean to us in 2021, the tricky world of grant funding, and the relative sizes of lakes in the world. I hope you enjoy the show. To kick things off, it would be really cool to hear um, a bit about yourself, just so our listeners know um, a bit about you. Are you happy to, to kind of introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, my name is Rebecca Kay, and I suppose, well, from a professional point of view, if you want to call it that, in terms of my, what I was interested in when I was little and what led to studying and then job. Um, so I was always interested in uh, maths and art, basically, the two things that in school didn't really go together at the time and it was always sort of a like throughout high school a choice whether you did maths or design um, and then when I got to doing A-levels I wanted to do both but they actually had them in different buildings across the different side of town at the same time so it was physically impossible to study maths and art so I ended up doing maths thinking that art would be easier to do as a hobby, I suppose, really is, is, and it's probably what it's almost still classed as in some times with the, like these government adverts about saying retrain to do something like inverted commas proper. Um, so yes, yeah, so I did maths, did art as like a, a hobby or maybe what you call as a side project just now. Um, and then university did maths. But I was always wanting to do art and that was the one thing that I really enjoyed and just trying to get back to. And it was always sort of every day going to a, a day job. It was like, oh, I wish. And finally sort of bored myself saying I wish and um, started doing evening classes and um, reduced my hours a little bit in my day job to do um, sort of classes in Edinburgh College of Art, doing design and illustration, different things like that. And then... I ended up going back to university to do visual communications as a as a master's as a full-time thing um, and then after that I started doing freelance design and still doing the day job in sort of maths related data um, stuff and I suppose it was always I enjoyed the maths like I said when I started out sort of deciding what things to do it was always the two things I enjoyed and I was almost sort of feeling as if I was pulling one way and then the other and it was probably only about about maybe nine nine eight years ago that I started doing um trying to bring these two worlds together and actually doing things like data visualization information graphics and what I'm doing now which is creating visuals out of data. I think I totally feel where you're coming from as someone who um, kind of got railroaded into doing maths at university as well and you know I, I loved art before kind of A-levels um, but you're, you're right they just didn't feel like they gelled at the time there was no sort of yeah there was no kind of push to, to do both of them at the same time from my school so I went down the maths route as well. Um, yeah and, and it's funny because a lot of people sort of say that they are different things and that's why they're separated all the rest of it but I think there's so much like commonality between well, design, some people don't disagree with this description of problem solving, but essentially you are trying to come up with a solution to communicate information through a visual. And maths is exactly the same, sort of trying to distill something down into a formula, like looking at data, describing the patterns in it. It's all, it's all the same as communication of information. So it's 
funny that they're separated so much. I mean, so we're recording this on the, the 21st of December at the end of, of 2020. And I mean, this has been a bit of a year. How, how has it been for you? Obviously, aside from people, other people's experiences and, and um, like what's going on and sort of businesses and things, I'd say, I'd say it's been a positive year for me in terms of getting to do what I want and having the space to, to achieve that. So, um, so hard raised an entrepreneur funding uh, that was due to start at the beginning of March. And I had sort of, I suppose, conflicting priorities at that time where I w- didn't think I'd be able to spend a five day week, essentially, on doing my research. And the funding was sort of granted in acknowledgement of that. So it was going to be working around another job. And um, but then because of different things happening and well, I, I lost a lot of clients through through the pandemic, basically. So that, although that was a negative, that actually created more space for me to to actually do the research and uh, put more into the funding and and essentially get more out of it as well. Because, so that was March where sort of I'd lost some work, which gave me the space to do this, but I still had a little bit of work to sort of keep me going. And then come September, I lost more work which turned into a bit more of a, a panic feeling, I suppose, because it wasn't that I had space and money, and I just had space. <laughs> so I was, um, ultimately, I, I wanted to try and, I suppose this to be a financially viable business. Um, the outcome of research from uh, create, uh, the resident entrepreneurs. But yeah, come September, I suppose it made me think, I've got to stop thinking about this and actually trying to make it work more. And if I lost any more work, then I'm going to have to live off this, um, which is what I started doing. And yeah, so it's been, I'd say, quite positive in terms of motivation and and space and time and evaluating what you really want, I suppose, as well. That's, that's cool. That's like an anti-fragile moment, you know, taking the sort of complexity and... Uh you know, stress and sort of change in the world and using it to, you know, really focus and, and build something that you, you love. Um, and actually, do you want to tell us a bit about the project and, you know, what you've been working on, on lately? Yeah, yeah. So um, Resident Entrepreneur pro- uh, Funding, when I went into that, basically my application was looking at, I wanted to research how I could apply graphics to visuals. Um, that was essentially the essence of it. At the time, I was... Um, going to be looking at building a tool to do this sort of a web-based tool where I could say I don't know relate information to the size of a circle or the shape of an arc or or whatever it was it was going to be building graphics using um, data and my thought at that time of how I could make money from it was looking at sort of I suppose being in code base as well the world I was um surrounded by was startups who were sort of starting out with teams of two and three were trying to communicate what they were doing but without a team of designers or having a lot of money for agencies and things and um, and actually speaking to Kobe specifically in Sterling where they were wanting to have well they were doing a lot of um, events and different things like this and were wanting to have good visuals for these but because they were having so many they wanted this like um, I suppose a 
a communication la- a language, a visual language, but didn't have the skills in-house to do that. So, yeah, so my thoughts with creating visuals from data would be that you could basically create a design language for a company and plug this into a data set and within a web-based tool where at the press of a button, you could create a new asset, a new visual asset. So it would be, so all the work that you do traditionally within a design agency of sort of understanding what you wanted to communicate, different sort of, um, like in terms of events, the different types of events, who they targeted and, and various other things and build all this into what would essentially be a formula so that you could have unique assets, but based on data. And then, yeah, again, with the time that the pandemic provided, if that's the right way of saying it, um, that it made me think as well that although that was maybe something that you could do to make money, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I was just, again, creating myself another job that served a purpose, but it wasn't really my purpose. And the stuff that I was doing and also really missing at the beginning of the pandemic because of restrictions was the outdoors. Like that's always been... So when I mentioned originally about maths and art being a professional sort of passion and something I was wanting to do and build a a life around, my spare time, I just loved being outdoors and sort of in the sea and on the mountains. And again, with the pandemic, sort of having time to sort of reflect on that... I tried to pull in that bit of what I like to do as well in terms of the environment and the outdoor and caring for it as well, especially at the minute with, or especially how many years ago that we've been ignoring this, but with climate change, um, that I wanted to involve that as well. So looking at art, design and maths. And so what I've ended up creating is, I suppose, I was going to say a personal project, but what I'm trying to make financially viable is my three interests of art, maths, and nature and essentially creating visuals that use data about the environment to describe the natural world and I'm using visuals to try and communicate that so rather than all these different sort of research papers and things explaining about um, say tidal um, tidal patterns or weather patterns or starling migrate like bird migration patterns rather than having that information within a scientific journal that no one necessarily sees, I'm taking the formulas describing all that information out of those papers and applying visuals to them to create visuals. Yeah, I think it's it's a really difficult one um, with sort of talking about visualisation on a podcast, you know, which is an audio-based... Yeah, I kind of want to... We'll make sure in the show notes that there's... Um, there's uh, some some you know links to your work so people can see exactly you know what this what it looks like um but i guess i was kind of interested there because you touched on um kind of building a, a product um to let folks kind of do this automatically and i guess you know we live in a, a world where um so tools like canva have become huge and you know everyone can kind of be a sort of I guess like a, a pale imitation of a designer. Um, you know, I, I use Canva all the time and I use it to create assets that always just look kind of not as good as if a designer did them, you know, but it has kind of lowered that, that bar to entry. Um, and I guess with data visualization, it's like, it's another layer of complexity on top of that. 
Um, you know, it's not just kind of the, the visual side of things, it's, it's the kind of language that you were talking about, but also, you know, the data. Um, and I guess my, my question is, like, do you, do you think it's kind of even possible for, like, to kind of build a product that lets folks do that themselves? Or, I mean, do you think it's just too, too complex? Um, yeah, so I agree in terms of what you said about um, these are the things lowering the the barrier to entry and being able to create something. Um, but I suppose actually, going back to what I wanted to do and what role you were essentially creating yourself by creating this service, the the element of actual design and the thought that goes into it would still be a traditional process and how you'd go sort of approach a unique design brief without the tools and I suppose the tool wouldn't necessarily go to the company as a sort of like an an empty canvas it would be more like so when designers create brands uh, or, or sort of logos and like yeah brand language for a, co- a company and they used to have manuals sort of design manuals where it sort of gives you a color scheme logo placement it tells you about that brand and how these different visual assets should be treated within that and it's almost doing all that sort of background work in a traditional process and building what you would put into a, a design manual into code and then supplying that end package so almost rather than giving someone a design manual to say right this is how we've thought about creating x y and z and this is how you should apply x y and z it's just removing the this is how you should apply it and here's a tool that will apply it itself if that makes sense there's such a sort of human element to that that you know there's always probably Mm -hmm. i mean do you think there's always going to be you know a degree of having someone sort of holding your hand and kind of making it, you know, if you're using this product, making sure that it, it works and looks good? Um. I, yeah, I suppose in some way, again, going back to who I was thinking about targeting, which would be startups who are probably tech-based and have a, yeah, part of what they're trying to communicate is that they're a tech brand. Almost the fact that the tech was creating the branding, even if there were anomalies and things you wouldn't necessarily want to create in a traditional process almost that sort of serendipity of what would come out I would have thought for those companies would be part of that process it would be a bit like screen printing it's a handmade process you're going to get differences and yeah each thing is going to be unless you're amazing at doing it it may have slight sort of um, signs that it's being printed by hand and that is personally so much nicer than receiving a digital print where you don't have that because it's it's identical it's just a digital process that's replicating something rather than something somebody's producing by hand it's almost the the technology creating design is almost putting in those little bits of oh this isn't quite right but it's technology driven and you're communicating a technology brand and just as, yeah, I suppose that's the direction I was going. There's uh, 
there's, I really like the metaphor of the printing, um, and especially, I don't know, thinking about it like a limited run of design as well. Mm. Um, you yeah, know, yeah. if you look at uh, this, like a, any kind of SaaS product these days, they quite often have sort of the same sort of cartoony characters, like kind of selling them. Um, and there's even, um, I can't remember what they're called, I think Undraw is the name of one of them, but there's loads of kind of resources that are just assets of kind of techie looking illustrations and canva has you know big archives of this as well and what you end up with is um you know quite a lot of startups just end up looking identical you know they have the same squarespace template the same illustrations you know even the same kind of patter you know just introducing themselves <laughs> like hey we're so and so um and yeah i really like the idea of there being those kind of little anomalies that you know if you kind of create mm. stuff with data with the help of a designer then you're gonna have it just being like a little bit off in the corner or you know not quite come through in the on the blue or whatever um yeah something something you you touched on there is actually you know so you're, you're kind of working with um or you've worked so much with companies in codebase you know which i've not been in since march sadly but you know hopefully mm. get to revisit at some point soon um i guess um it, if you you were based in codebase and floor d kind of right on the ground floor in the heart of of things um mm. uh, how have you seen like your sort of way of working um evolve this year you know i mean you've been working from home presumably for much of the year um you know yeah. how how has that affected your work so i think i probably this isn't a good advert for codebase <laughs> but i probably prefer i probably prefer it i think in that so to start with, I had um, created a space within my house already that I was wanting to use some of the time to do work within that space. Um, so, but I suppose as with everybody, people going into the office, meetings, different things that happened sort of in 2019, as you would say normally, um, just meant that I wasn't really doing that, even though I was trying to do some work from home. It just it just wasn't really happening. It wasn't it was too much of a routine going into code base nine till five, Monday to Friday, that just meant that I wasn't really doing that. So when the yes, when it meant when we were all working from home and I was given the space to do essentially what I was wanting to do before, it works so far it's worked out quite well I've got I think I'm probably quite introverted I would say but I do like speaking to people as well and I think almost when I was in codebase and it was quite full-on a lot of maybe what you class as networking or things like that I I just don't think I was in the mood for after spending all day in an office situation whereas now I'm finding that I'm actually creating little groups of um, sort of people that I was wanting to yeah, spend time with, but also from a like a professional or personal development point of view that you could support and they could support you. And I don't think I'd have ever done that sort of last year just because I don't think I'd have had the energy for it. So now I almost feel as if I'm creating groups that I want to... Um, yeah, learn from and also share my learnings and things from rather than the sort of water cooler chat or whatever sort of passing where you can maybe have the same conversation different people if that makes sense not not obviously 
obviously the community in Cobase is really nice and everybody's really friendly, but it's just a different, it just serves a different purpose, I think. Uh, don't worry, I'll just cut everything bad you've just said about Codebase out. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. I think um, what 2020 has shown us is that community looks very different to how we perhaps perceived it, you know, for um, a very mm. long time. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to see more of a, a, a spectrum of how people interact from um, that kind of offline around the water cooler, around the ping pong table, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, the coffee morning um, in physical spaces to, to online. And if it's, you know, if it's a, a Slack group or even WhatsApp or however folks want to communicate or, you know, um, I think perhaps we're all getting a bit of Zoom, Zoom fatigue at the end of the year, having spent so much of our, our lives on it. But I think if you can have a, a sort of support network of handful of people who you catch up with on Zoom regularly, it can mean the world. So when I was, um, so when I mentioned about doing sort of design and having these distinct worlds of sort of doing my data job and the design separately, I was doing a lot of, um, well, screen printing basically and selling prints, but doing a lot of fairs, mostly down south, down in London. And a lot of the community that I created was down south. So when the fairs, not because of the pandemic, but because of doing other things, stopped, almost felt like I had lost this community that I'd sort of spent years creating. And finally, the, what you were saying about the people working remotely and being able to catch up on Zoom, it doesn't really matter where you are. The community that I've now created is with those people that I would meet down south. So like one of them's, two of them are in Leeds, one of them is down in Swanage and the other one down in Somerset. And now it's normal that you can have these disparate groups and it doesn't seem a weird thing because even if there was the five of us were in Edinburgh, we'd still be meeting over Zoom. It's actually quite nice that it's almost made you think, well, why not have your community support group as in these people that you'd met when you were down south? It, it doesn't really matter that they're not in Edinburgh. And I think that's, that's something that's really nice. Yeah, I think the kind of notion of what community is is... Is, is really mm. changing. I, I just finished a, a, an online course I probably never would have done if it wasn't for the fact that I, w I was working from home and, you know, having to interact with all courses remotely. And it was with people who are primarily based in the States, um, you know, and mm. mostly around Berkeley and, and I think, uh, yeah, kind of West Coast. Um, but there okay. were people from um, India, from, you know, all over Europe, um, from pretty much you name it around the world in this cohort of 30 people. And it just meant that you're having such different conversations because I, I think, you know, you said before about you'll quite often have the same conversation if you're mm. if you're talking to the same folks in, in, in the same around the same water cooler every day, then you're yeah. kind of just, yeah, you, you're thinking very locally in terms of, you know, expanding your view of the world. But now what COVID has, has made us realize is that you can really just interact with people from anywhere um if they share the same passion yeah. as you yeah yeah and like you said how much you can learn as well from having different experiences like the the group that i was saying about there's um there's three of us that's sort of doing illustration design one is doing um writing and the other one has got a book club like a, a an online book club subscription service but all everyone does stuff around the outdoors but it's funny how when I first thought about it and I was thinking, oh, whether it should all be 
people doing the same thing, it's actually so much more useful having people doing from different backgrounds because what they're bringing in, you think, oh, actually, that could completely apply to what I do. You just hadn't thought that way. Totally, and I love that it's these communities built, come together around, um, you know, a common interest. And if it is the outdoors, mm. then, you know, I think that's that's brilliant. Actually, maybe tell me a bit more about that. Like, it feels, yeah. again, you know, so certainly I've spent a lot less time traveling this year as I think most people have and mm. I've, I've always been a fairly outdoorsy person you know as far as sort of maybe as far as like the Pentlands in Edinburgh or you know the sort of yeah. just going to the Highlands um, is enough for me but um, uh, yeah I mean are you seeing the growth of interest in I guess maybe kind of homegrown activities involving the outdoor world? The people I mentioned within this group have been, so when I first met them, and maybe why we clicked in the first place and sort of felt like we had a bond was because we were all interested in the outdoors. Um, the stuff I was originally doing was cycling related. And so, yeah, the, all of them actually, um, I sort of discovered through cycling because the writer used to write for cycling magazines or still does and outdoor magazines. And then two designers were doing stuff within cycling and for cycling teams and various things. So, um so they were already, I suppose, in that space anyway. But I'd say from a, a personal point of view, exactly the other day when we were chatting, um, two of the people raised the point that it feels quite weird writing about adventures that they're having when they sort of when they know other people can't be having those and how appropriate that is. But I was saying I've probably read more adventure books or sort of books about not travelling far f- uh, afield, but just like you said, the Highlands, like places you want to visit that we haven't been able to. I've been reading so much about other people having adventures and I've sort of think I've lived these adventures through them because because you can't escape as much and I think. So I don't I assume that's not unique to me. I assume people are like really craving experiences via other people. Whether that's through art, reading, writing or yeah, so I think I'd say there, I think there is a more of an appreciation of the outdoors. And I guess that feels like it comes back to your work, you know, with Plotter. That uh, mm-hmm. I think when I when I saw it, you can immediately kind of understand the data, and sort of it does bring you to understand the the natural world in in you know, quite mm-hmm. a sort of beautiful way. Um, again, really need to have the the show notes up of so people can see it. That's um, <laughs> that we'll sort that afterwards. I was doing a, a new print the other day and. Um, I was just trying to think about the stuff that I like and the stuff I'm interested in and I'll sort of maybe read a little bit about it and then that information sort of think, oh, that'd be interesting to sort of visualise. And so I was doing looking at the Scottish locks the other day and um, one of the sort of statistics that they were saying about it was with Loch Ness, having the volume of water in Loch Ness is more than all the lakes in England and Wales combined, which... I knew Loch Ness was big. I didn't realise it was that vast. I, I think I had heard that statistic before, and yeah, it is, it is absolutely it, enormous. I mean, for, for the UK, yeah. and then you sort of compare it to, you know, thinking globally to, you know, like the Great Lakes or something, and suddenly you realise that, yeah. you know, we, our biggest lakes are actually just ponds in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, for, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But when you think of, like, the lakes and, like, the Lake District, mm or Balor in Wales, there's lakes within our understanding, sort of relative to the UK, that are 
what you'd think of as big. So when you put Loch Ness in that perspective, and then, yeah, yeah like you said, the fact that put in perspective of something else as well, it's um, dwarfed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I guess there's probably lots of kind of interesting data to explore in terms of, you know, the ecosystems that grow around these these kind of uh, these places. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's a, another project for another time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess, so one thing, uh, other thing I was going to ask about was, um, we talked a bit about kind of, the, well, okay, tell me if you want to talk about this, but the kind of community mm. stuff, um, you know, you've been very mm. sort of engaged with people around a specific um, thing that you love. Um, mm-hmm. And I've wondered, you know, have you found sort of in terms of the kind of the local Edinburgh creative scene, like, so are there, are there sort of people that you still find that you connect with within Edinburgh um, or even within Scotland, you know, that it's like folks that you saw before, like, um, I'm thinking, you know, there's a huge number of, um, you know, networking events, um, coffee mornings, etc., that kind of stuff that gets put on around Edinburgh for creatives to attend. Um, and are you finding that those connections are still alive and well or you know has it shifted more to kind of uh, an interest-based community that you you talk to um I suppose there's a couple of people that I've met over lockdown what through like virtually through social media but funnily enough we discovered each other through Instagram so the fact they were in Edinburgh to me is seems irrelevant almost because because of the way we discovered each other um so, so there's definitely an Edinburgh community. I think I've been along to the um, Creative Edinburgh mornings and they've been really good. And actually, I think I prefer the format almost of the online ones where you get put within a group. So you can, so, so the networking thing is that normally it would be a, a room of say, I don't know, maybe 50 people-ish around that sort of number. Um, you'd walk into this room with lots of people in lots of groups and go and talk to someone. And if it was me, you'd hover around the coffee bit a, a little bit until you sort of felt like you weren't intruding on a group. And then when you did sort of start chatting within a group, I I think you probably would end up talking to the, that those people for the whole time, which is nice, but you don't feel, you don't know about the other people in the group. And there might have been someone who, yeah, you could have collaborated with or, or just had a really sort of built a community I suppose around um so the online ones you get put in a room for seven minutes randomly with three other people three or four other people and then that rotates I think you get about three different goes with that and so it means that you meet other people on a more intimate level you don't have to break into these crowds and I just think that you discover more about people um so I was doing those and I really enjoyed those but I suppose I've stopped, maybe it's a Zoom fatigue thing. I think that maybe gave me a bit of a springboard to think, oh, these online events are really good, doing other things. And um, yeah, that sounds actually, this sounds like a bad advertisement for great no, no, Oh, they're really good, springboarded. So now I don't go. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think, no, I totally know what you mean. Like, I, I'm, I'm, probably prefer the format of online myself as well I, I hate kind of like awkwardly having to break into a you know group of people and yeah. be like hey I'm Ollie how's it going um you know it yeah, just makes yeah. me really uncomfortable and and finishing those conversations as well like the set the seven yeah. minutes like and it's like boom done 
and you know even yeah. if you um uh, just want to to leave then you can just leave like that you know there's like yeah. just yeah. close your laptop and walk away pretend that your your wi-fi yeah. cut out <laughs> you know <laughs> so i'm going to be watching out for this now yeah. <laughs> you're like oh sorry <laughs> My <wifi's> good <laughs> yeah I, I think there's kind of a lot we've learned you know i mean we put on events in code base both online and you know previously in person i think there's a huge amount that will be you know changing about the way we do in-person events and you know mm. kind of mixing up offline and online and you know seeing how those interactions work um with with both worlds um so yeah actually the the other nice thing about creative edinburgh which links back to what you were saying about your course is um that there's people from Glasgow, Aberdeen, Highlands, there's so many other people. And I know it's maybe in the name Creative Edinburgh, it's maybe a localised group, but probably only for convenience because of traditional events. You, you know, People from sort of Sky or the Highlands aren't really going to be travelling to these. Whereas it does open the possibilities of being able to have a group that covers a broader area. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know what you mean. There's kind of some naming conventions that are probably going to go out the window in 2021 for, for mm. community groups when they're based around a specific location. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's really cool that we can suddenly yeah, open up to, to collaborations from well anywhere in the world. You know? in, fa- in fact, that was another benefit, if you can say it, silver lining of the pandemic <clears throat> with um, so normally when they release different design events, um, conferences and things, sort of look through them. They're in America, or most of them are in America, or, or London if they're here. And they're also, I suppose, expensive to some degree. And the speakers are maybe similar, um, or the London wouldn't, ones wouldn't necessarily get speakers from America and so on. Um, whereas this year, there's been so many sort of conferences brought online have been it doesn't matter where you are and there's so many people from all over the world who are actually getting to go to these places and it does make you think how living in Edinburgh isn't a choice because you like the city and it's like oh but I'm going to miss out on stuff going on in London because you're quite far it's now yeah this is where I want to be and I have access to all these amazing things that are going on and I'm not prohibited by being here I'm actually I'm at an advantage because I'm in a beautiful city and I've got access to worldwide events. I hear you and I could talk about that for hours. Like I think the kind of mm-hmm. there's a huge thing in the in the States right now of folks moving away from San Francisco to kind of smaller cities um, because the, the rent is so high, like the quality of life isn't great. Yeah. And, you know, if you live in a city and everything you do is online, there's a bit of what's the point you know okay the food the food mm. is generally really good in bigger cities um you know i think edinburgh is getting better for that but um but yeah i think yeah why wouldn't you live in a smaller city if you can access mm. I, I used to go over to the states once a year for conferences and now they're online and they're quite often free as well um you know i think business models mm. for um conferences have changed hugely in the last six months mm. um and you know there's no reason not to just drop in you know you can still be in your slippers and you could be checking your emails at the same time and just you can see some of the most inspirational people in the world speak <laughs> yeah yeah and, and those people as well in just as my opinion but you'd sort of think that if they're not having to travel to conferences that surely that's an advantage for them as well that they get to carry on with doing what they love doing as opposed to speaking but still being able to share and promote and mm-hmm. communicate what they're doing whilst 
within their studio space. And as well as a, I almost think it improves some of the experience as well, rather than, yeah, that person may be in a room physically if you were attending a physical conference. But normally, if it's like, say, in the Barbican in London, it's massive. And you're not, even if you sat at the front, there's still a tiny speck. Whereas through the online stuff, they're at home and you can see, like, like with you, you can see what's on your wall and I get to know a little bit more about you because of what's in your background. You kind yeah. of get to see the, the bit that um, that person wants you to see. Like if I was to tilt my camera down even slightly, you would suddenly see um, children's toys and just chaos <laughs> all over the floor back here. But um, yeah. Uh, and you do have a child just as a provider. For that. Yes, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, that would be odd otherwise. <laughs> so I suppose going back to um the doing the three things I like nature nature data art and thinking how I was going to make that financially viable and I think it's probably only through uh, resident entrepreneurs and and creative bridge really to an extent as well that so with the design stuff before I knew you could sell prints and make money from that even though it's not easy to do and there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's obviously commissions, which I suppose is the main thing people think about. But funding, I'd never thought about that. And actually, this year specifically, I've gone for two bits of funding and got them to be able to do to do the plot air stuff. And it's, it's amazing, like with that community that I was talking about... Um, the five people that we're chatting about, a lot of the stuff, like one of the people um, doesn't have any screen printing facilities in their um, hometown. They live down in Swanage. And so they found somebody in Cornwall, bought their stuff, and, they want, and they've um, going to create a little studio for them to use, but also try and open it up in the community. And I was like, oh, did you go for funding for that? And no one thinks of it. And I wouldn't have thought of it before, but yeah, I think it's really useful to know that there's funding available for you to do stuff. Like especially within the arts, that yeah, and it's open to people. Yeah, I think something we we try to instill in people that uh, do creative bridges, just just go for it when it comes to public funding. Just you really have to be confident in yourself. In this country, we have so much of it um, compared to many other countries in the world. Like the government really, really wants to fund interesting projects, and you know experiment and sort of chuck 10 20 grand at an early stage startup and just kind of they, they i think they know full well that many won't ever actually go anywhere but that some will succeed and you know will kind of drive the economy um but you really have to just apply and sort of go for it mm. and truth be told sometimes um you know it will take two or three attempts um and it can be very disheartening because quite often applying it in itself feels like a full-time job um, mm. But it's there for the taking, and you know I'm so delighted that that you managed to get two bits of funding to to do yeah, what you're doing. There's definitely something I now look out for because, like you're saying about funding startups, it's not even just that, is it? Like Creative Scotland, I went to because um, yes, yeah, so resident entrepreneurs. I was looking at creating the technology or using the technology that turned out in the end to um, apply visuals to data on Creative Scotland. I had a bit of fitting to specifically focus on uh, playing uh, data from the environment to graphics and sort of basically creating marketing material that I could go out to to try and make this a viable day job. 
and and so sad it's just it's you you think oh I, i'll just use my own time which you are but there's actually people who will support you to use your own time so that you don't have to worry about yeah paying your rent or paying your mortgage or whatever it is and it's yeah really it's really valuable knowing that that exists and that anyone can go for it it's not just sort of high art that you're putting on an exhibition it's whatever your project is I, I think once you apply for something and especially if you get it then suddenly it just that whole world becomes so much more accessible like it feels you know less yeah. less like an ivory tower yeah and it feels like you're that basically that you warrant that funding that you're like not an imposter there's a word for it that I can't think but that you know what I mean that you're oh. worthy yeah, worthy of that funding <laughs> yeah but yeah but basically yeah. basically that type of thing because mm. yeah it doesn't it's not yeah whatever you're doing it's it's worth yeah, it's like it like yeah. validates what you're doing you, validates okay. that's it there you go if we got yeah. that yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally um so maybe actually that's something I'll also add to the show notes is, you know, maybe a list of kind of mm. places that do grant funding in, in Scotland cause, yeah. and the UK because it is super important. No, I was just going to say the other thing on that note is um, the other thing that I find really useful this year is, and although I can't be part of it because because I screen print onto paper as opposed to material, but anyway, it's Craft Scotland. Um, but they, so even if you can't be part of, even if you don't qualify because you're not classed as a craft maker, you can go to their talks and things, and they're really useful and really interesting. And they have a lot about... Their newsletters say a lot about funding within creative industries. And the talks that they do, they're they're just really interesting. And a lot of the people that do these talks have gone for funding and will sort of describe the process and and say what um, what they've applied for funding to do. So I find that really valuable as well. That's awesome. I will add that to the show notes as well, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the tricky things with these is um, it's just being aware of all of this, of the funding available. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something you really just, it's difficult to keep tabs on, on every single newsletter that goes out there. So being involved mm. in a community and hearing it from people, you know, I think that stuff is so important. Yeah. So, yeah, well, will we, will we kind of call it there? Um, uh, since yeah. I think that's that's enough uh, enough chat yeah, but um fun. but yeah thank you so much for for coming on today um yeah, been it's been good. good to chat like i'm glad that we kind of rambled all over the place uh, a bit you know about communities and yeah i'll make your funding. job nice and easy for <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. 